coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. They're not all Hello Kitty Cruisers. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going, I think, well. I've got to be honest, we're recording this on Saturday, so I don't actually know how I'm going to be doing on Thursday, but I'm going to say I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean, we're doing a little bit of a a time capsule episode here, kind of because we look uh tuesday and wednesday are uh or have been uh <laughs> monumentous uh, occasions in uh, american history and electoral politics so we are just uh we're, we're getting this we're knocking this one out of the way so you have something fun to listen to today um and that we don't have to prepare it well maybe not being in a super fun mood who knows <laughs> um but yeah no we we are we're going to be talking about licensed games today but before we uh dive into that as you uh, now know, um, the Sonic Forces borrowing program has returned. You may, I mean, we, look, it has never actually gone away, and you can always write in to Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com, gmail.com and give us a mailing address, and we will send you my copy of Sonic Forces. Uh, the, we are reinstating this now with the spoiler of you may accidentally get the untitled Goose game instead of Sonic Forces. The Goose is a trickster. Uh, he can't be stopped. Uh, so this, I'm sorry. Uh, slash, congratulations, you got the better game. <laughs> but uh, the the rules mm-hmm. still apply. The same That's rules right. for Entitled Goose Game apply as to those for Sonic Forces, which is of course no rule other than you right. have to return it at some point. You play it for as long as you want, and then you send it back to me. We've provided uh, return postage, um, so it doesn't cost you anything. Um, and uh, and look, and no matter what. Even if you get Untitled Goose Game, this is still the Sonic Forces Borrowing Program. That's its name, and I don't want to hear anyone messing it up, okay? It's the Sonic and, Forces Borrowing Program. And no, one other thing is just no requesting one game over the other. That's right. Look, you, all you're doing is putting your name in to borrow one of my games, and everyone means to borrow Sonic Forces. If you accidentally end up borrowing Untitled Goose Game, that's just the luck of the goose, man. That's that's just what it is. <laughs> um, all right, Mark, uh, no more screwing around. Let's get into our main topic. Let's discuss licensed games. <laughs> All right, Mark. Why uh, this? This is uh, this is your topic idea. I'm throwing you under the bus right away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why why are we talking about licensed games today? Well, of course, on Tuesday, Bakugan Champions of Astroia was released for Nintendo Switch. And if you'll recall the reveal of this game, um, yep. Nintendo did their first streamed like live stream Nintendo Treehouse Live of 2020, and it was for Paper Mario: The Origami King. And then in the announcement, they were also like, by the way, we're going to be announcing a new third-party title. And of course, that sent the internet ablaze, you know, wondering what it could be, super excited. And the answer turned out to be Bakugan Champions of Estroya, which is a licensed game being developed by WayForward that's based on a toy line and animated series, I believe. Yeah, and, you know, being, uh, you know... uh high 30 year olds upper 30 year old men uh the bakugan series is something that missed us all i would say entirely (laughs) um and so uh i i I could feel a lot of like the air come out of uh, like our peers you know uh just like everyone kind of being deflated at that point and turning off the uh nintendo treehouse presentation yeah i mean i think part of the reason i want to do this is because i think that like licensed titles in general get a have like a bad reputation as mm-hmm. just like cheap you know cash grabs that are usually aimed at children based on like animated movies and stuff but i don't know that that's really like a fair compare like a fair reputation granted a lot of the games i'm going to be talking about are probably in that category but like i 
like there's a lot of like good licensed games that you don't really consider them licensed like when it, there's a new Star Wars game or a new Marvel game or yeah. you know like a bunch of other things like you don't really can put um Hello Kitty Cruisers and Marvel versus Capcom in like the same category even though they are both licensed games. Yeah, I mean and that's that that is 100% correct that like um it and and really like it it is so strange because there is there is certainly this like mentality of like uh this is probably the best licensed game whatever you know like there there's always like a little like couching of like we expect a licensed game to be bad but like you know there are just a lot of bad games licensed or otherwise right um so like yeah i i don't know that uh whether it's based on an existing uh movie or cartoon or whatever if that necessarily is any indication um of its quality especially now when we're seeing the kinds of stuff that we're seeing out of like uh wb games you know like the um this is a little bit off the nintendo path um a little um but like you know the injustice games or um the uh shadow of war the the middle earth games like you know those are all those are all licensed games um but or they have actually that's interesting are those licensed because they're developed by wb yeah i guess probably in this age of you know like conglomeration that no technically they're probably not licensed because you know uh yeah. rocksteady is owned by warner brothers who owns the batman ip so in that instance probably no then wow wow okay so one of the things i was going to throw out there was in fact uh the batman arkham batman arkham city armored edition uh on on the nintendo wii u um which was just uh, arkham city uh, ported over to the Wii U, you know, like five years later, uh, and with very minimal like like upgrades and and additions to it. Um, uh, and I mostly want to talk about that because of like the like my memory of uh, playing Batman games on um, Nintendo consoles. Like I played the original uh, NES Batman, um, and based on the '89 uh, Batman film, um, and that game was uh, like fun and kind of like Ninja Gaiden-y um but had like batman specifics to it um but yeah it's i guess we can't even count that one now because it was developed by a company that is owned by wb not licensed <laughs> yeah i think technically that's true which Mark, is the you're worst blowing kind my of mind true. a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're blowing my mind a little bit well before we get into like the games that we like a lot and i i do want to talk about i for me anyways there was like in the super nintendo era there was a really specific type of um, licensed game that I don't really think exists anymore. And it was all based on like, like food mascots or like TV, like things based on like TV commercials. And that's it. I don't know if we were, if the late eighties, early nineties was just a weird, was a strange era where like um, the California raisins, could start as like a commercial and then get an animated series like i don't know but there was something weird going on because i owned a lot of and maybe because they were cheap and easy to find Mm. i owned a lot of these like platformers that were based on like commercials like can can i I try can i can i yeah yeah please and okay because this will also be like a fun test in my memory um yo noid (laughs) from dominoes from dominoes yeah um did you have that one no, I didn't have that one. Okay, how about Seven Up Cool Spot? I absolutely had cool the Cool Spot game, um, for the Super Nintendo. Uh, okay, and then um, there's like a Ronald McDonald one, or it's like a McDonald's Kids on the NES. I didn't, I didn't have that one. Okay, the, the the other one that I had that like really sticks out to me was the Crash Test Dummies <laughs> game for the Super Nintendo. Sure, and the the fact that the because the crash test dummies were i don't know oddly popular they were from like a public service service announcement campaign yeah. about buckling your seatbelt. but then and, they also had like an animated series right right yeah like and clearly like video games like i have i don't know why but <laughs> it was an era because i mean let me describe for you the cool spot like uh video game this is the anthropomorphication of the red dot 
on the Seven Up can logo. Yeah, the, and uh, Mark, great point. Thank you for even bringing us back to that because it was something I was just I was prepared to blow past. I bet Seven Up hasn't used that as a character in twenty years. <laughs> oh, for sure. And but it was it was more than just a dot. It was a very early '90s radical dot, and so mm. the dot had like very like loose like it, the dot basically walks like Jar Jar Binks. Um, it wears sunglasses. A lot of the game takes place on like the beach or on a yacht or you know like in the in a uh, uh, marina where there's lots of yachts. Like it's very. <laughs> uh, it's oh what what is that um Beach Boys faux Beach Boys song um uh, uh Kokomo it's very mm, like yes. that sort of like Kokomo yeah. vibe where it's like I don't know if these people have ever been to the Caribbean but they sure like check can check all the boxes on the um on the beach uh, stereotype list yeah uh huh <laughs> yeah I mean the, you know, the the and even the the Beach Boys at their Beach Boysiest uh didn't surf so <laughs> you know <laughs> it was uh just a, a total lie to uh you know sell the California lifestyle so you're running around as like the little red dot with sunglasses and you're trying to you're trying to get cool points uh each level you have to collect like a certain amount um, like get 30 cool points. And as you collect the points, your cool percentage goes up until you're trying to hit like a hundred percent. But like the levels are really kind of like crazy. Like they're big and vertical. And so you get like 60, you get like not 60, but six minutes to collect these like 30 cool points, which is a absurdly long amount of time. <laughs> um, what was it fun? No. Okay. <laughs> um the crash test dummies the crash test dummies game was actually like kind of fun because it was it was just an action platformer so you were a crash test dummy but you had like wrenches and stuff that you could throw and you're going through all these like factory like levels and stuff like that so it it was i guess actually probably the seven up cool spot game was more correct to what the seven up cool spot would be than like the crash test dummies who as far as I could tell, we're not really action heroes. Um, I'm I'm doing a little uh, research right now on on the fly uh, about that uh, McDonald's um, kids game that I uh, that I was alluding to earlier. It's called MC Kids um, and or Mick Kids. It is not clear the box art for this thing. Everyone, go uh, right now and look up MC Kids. The the box art. Um, uh, it says M period C. And then under it, kids. So there's not even a period after the C. It's very confusing. <laughs> um, but this was a a like side-scrolling uh, like platform adventure game where you played as like two kids in McDonald's land. Um, I, I played this game uh, like a, a very little bit, um, like maybe rented it one time. This game uh, is uh, notable for me and for my list of uh, licensed games here and that it came out in 1992. Mark, would it surprise you to know that virtually every game I want to talk about today came out in 1992 or 1993? <laughs> no, that's the sweet spot. <laughs> um, but we, we, we can toss MC Kids as, uh, aside, um, but I just wanted to bring it up as, uh, you know, uh, in, in line with what you're talking about there with uh, Crash Test Dummies and um the cool spot do you think there is like uh i mean i is there an equivalent of that now like are there commercials uh, made into video games outside of like um the burger king sneak king um on the original xbox that was that was the only one i could think of when i was trying to think of like modern day equivalents and i don't think so but i also wonder if it's just kind of like it hit at this time in just like american culture in general right where we had just gone through deregulation of a bunch of industries and so just like you saw with um children's television where it was like oh gi joe and transformers where it's like these are just straight up toy commercials they don't have like any educational content that that same sort of thing is like bleeding over into video games where it's like hey this is a like this console boom of the late 80s early 90s is like a new thing and we're all just kind of like cashing in on this very specific like children's demographic which i feel like video games are not as focused anymore on that like uh you know like 12 and under set like it was in the 80s um i also think there's probably and uh all of this i think uh comes with the caveat of like but you can probably find it on mobile um 
but I, I don't think there's as much of, um, you know, we, we were a lot closer to having like a sort of monoculture in, in the 90s, where even if not everyone is watching all TV shows and movies, which for the most part they were, um, that like the commercials were still largely the same, you know? Um, so something like the 7-Up Cool Spot could have that everyone is familiar with that character. Everyone is familiar with the crash test dummies, uh, which now sounds insane, of course. <laughs> um, but like, you know, what what is the equivalent in 2020? Like the the Geico Gecko flow? Like, yeah, actually, probably that's probably like the yeah. In which I think you're right that there probably is like a flow, like yeah, progressive totally. auto insurance, like mobile game at some point. It, it, remarkable that we never got a Joe Camel um, licensed <laughs> game. Oh man, I wish I wish someone would make that now in like uh you know NES or Super NES uh fashion that that'd be great. <laughs> um, so uh, Mark, I'm gonna bring us to 1992 uh <laughs> as I will keep pulling us back to 1992 throughout this uh this episode. Um, I want to talk about Tiny Toons Cartoon Workshop. Is this a game you are familiar with? No, but we I had um a different Yeah, Tiny you probably Toons had Tiny game. Toon Adventures on the NES which came out in 1991, um which is like a side-scrolling uh platform game where you switch between um like three of of the um of 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 the main Tiny Toons. Um you know, I I I had that game. I loved that game. Uh I was very much into um the Tiny Toons as a concept um cuz like for me the the Looney Tunes were something that are like kind of pre-verbal for me like i've always been aware of them i've always liked those cartoons um and then i was old enough when tiny tune adventures first came on um to like be like drawing the lines between like these characters and their mentors on the series um and like seeing how they were different and like I, you know so i was just into it enough to like understand what was happening um, and Tiny Toons Cartoon Workshop, which uh, again comes out uh, in 1992, is a sort of educational, edutainment style game wherein you can take, uh, you make your own Tiny Toons cartoons um, by selecting uh, like little animation cycles of uh, a couple of the different characters and placing them on a background. And you can change like what uh, animation cycle an individual character has. So, like, for example, you'll have. Um, uh, uh what's the the coyote's name calamity coyote um and little beeper they're like roadrunner and coyote um analogs um and they have uh you know like a, a running animation uh like you know running into something animation a fall animation you can like kind of like chart them on these paths and like build these kind of complicated um cartoon scenes um and the whole thing is like insane because like you can't save anything um and uh there's you know, maybe like four minutes of cartoon that you can make at any given time there, you know, the uh, techniques are limited. So you can only do uh, really so much stuff, but it was just so much fun to mess around with it and try to make it make a cartoon. Yeah, that's a really cool concept. I'd never heard of that game before. When you're describing those restrictions, yeah. it actually reminds me a lot of like the restrictions we ran into when we played Wii Music. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, w- I mean, but this, this, uh we music always wants you to do a specific thing right like um it wants you to like play a song um and i would i would say that this gave you well it had a ton of restrictions it was still very very open and you had like this toolbox to do whatever you wanted um and you know sure the tools could only accomplish so much but like it still felt it's it felt limitless to me as a 10-year-old kid, right? Um, and it came out uh, two weeks after Mario Paint, right? Um, and again, this is an NES game, so like a late NES game, uh, well into the Super Nintendo's life cycle. Um, and like the those two things for me, uh, like I, I just spent so much time making uh, little cartoons in them and like recording them onto the VCR and, uh, and all that stuff. So I'm sure there are tapes and tapes of my bad... Uh, Tiny Toons cartoons and Mario Paint cartoons. Um, But like, it was just weird to me that like those sorts of tools didn't exist uh, on the machines that I was playing, um, you know, in in any other form except for these two games. Yeah, that, I mean, the Tiny Toons game is such a interesting concept. Like I I wish, like if I had had it as a kid, I would have loved that because I was so interested in like animation and like creating like 
films and stuff like that, that having something like that where I would be able to take these characters I like and make them like do things to, in my own creation yep. is such a fun idea. Yeah. And like, it was funny too. Like they did a good job of like making the, the animations where the coyote like runs into a cactus and like slides down, like that they're all like timed out and funny. And like, all you gotta do is kind of like plug them in and you're having a good time. Well, I want to take us 10 years later Whoa. to 2002. Okay. Because I, so one of the games on GameCube licensed games that I played a lot was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And I feel like this also belongs to a type of licensed game that I want to say doesn't get made that much anymore, or at least I'm not aware of, which is, but were very prevalent at this time, which was basically like, we're going to tell the story of the movie yeah. and then kind of like try to meld that with an action game. Yeah. Um, and th this game for me has like such a strong presence in my mind because it is peak like GameCube graphics and like GameCube aesthetic and GameCube music where everything's a little bit like plasticine. Every like it toes the line between being realistic and cartoony. Yeah. The characters look like enough like the characters in the movie that you're like, ah, yes, this is like a world that I'm familiar with, but different enough that they don't have to pay anybody for their likenesses. <laughs> and then it has like the very, you know, like um typical I guess what I would say, like, like the gameplay is fine, right? Like it's not a bad game, but it's very typical, like the puzzles, like the movement is very slow and puzzle solving is very slow and like having to grab things and do things. Everything takes like a yeah. little bit more effort. It like lacks the polish of like a really like big budget game. And, but it's like, it's totally good. I, it actually reminds me a lot of um, the Samurai Jack Battle Through Time game that uh, came out for Switch and other platforms just a couple of months ago. And where it's like, these t this Harry Potter game would have was full priced at the time, but now like could absolutely be released and be like a budget yeah. title. Like it fits right in that mold of like this is good enough for thirty bucks, but like doesn't meet that like sixty dollars standard. Um, I guess. That's that's such an interesting uh, phenomenon of like the we need to make a video game of this movie. Let's just try to like tell the story of the movie and insert gameplay um i i feel like two, 2002 is when this was i feel like mm -hmm. then that's maybe like just around the same era um that they started doing things like enter the matrix where it's like it exists in that movie universe but it's like a different story um same thing with uh and you mentioning the sort of like plasticine not quite real not quite um cartoony um the ghostbusters game um, that uh, had two different art styles because they had to also release it on Wii at the same time uh, that they put it on like the more powerful platforms. Um, that's it, it's such an interesting phenomenon of like, no, we can like actually make another movie. It's like doing what you're describing, except the movie doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, basically, I think one of the reasons why like licensed games are so appealing, no matter what where on like the triple a spectrum they land is because of a, if you get a good license it's just a world that people want to spend more time in right so like the the chamber of secrets game it didn't really matter that it was a chamber of secrets game it could have been any of the movies it could have been none of the movies it was being able to um you know like hang out in the world and with those characters that you like so much um, and so that's where I feel like the dividing line between a good license game and a bad license game is. I don't even know that it's necessarily, you know, like um, the quality of the gameplay. If I, I just don't know how much it always matters because like sometimes it's just about like, is it good because I get to spend more time in a world and with characters that I like? And that's why I think like a game like Cool Spot or like Crash Test Dummies, no matter what, wasn't going to stand the test of time because... Because who cares about those characters? Right. And, you yeah. know, like sometimes it goes the other way where like, let's talk, uh, it's not on my list, but like DuckTales for the NES, right? 
Like there sure. are other Capcom licensed games for the NES. Um, that also came from like those Disney afternoon cartoons, like the Chippendale Rescue Rangers one that I played way more than DuckTales, but that one hasn't persisted in the same way that like DuckTales has. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I set myself a little rule when making this list and I didn't share this rule with you. So, <laughs> but my, my rule was, I'm not going to talk about anything that is obviously Disney. Um, so like, e- even though, you know, like you say, there are those. Uh, those two Capcom um, Disney games, um, you know, the Mickey Mouse Capades, uh, the Lion King, Aladdin, you know, obviously they're, they're like a, a lot kind of right all in the same era, late 80s, early 90s um, that like, you know, aren't they, they, they succeed probably most at, you know, just presenting you with um, these ideas again uh, or with like the, the characters and the settings and stuff. And I would say that like DuckTales is a huge exception to that where, um, you know, it it invented a style of gameplay, um, this like you know bouncing on the pogo stick thing that then became like the cornerstone for uh, Shovel Knight as it like comes back as a retro thing. Um, it's just neat that there's like such a foundational aspect to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, kind of uh, pivoting on the idea of a licensed game having the sort of like foundational effect. Um, we talked about uh, one of these games. Um, last week, but I want to talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games that came out um, on uh, NES and Super NES, um, just sort of as as a blanket thing, um, and specific, specifically three games I want to shout out. Uh, one is the original uh, TMNT on the NES, which came out in 1989, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, The Manhattan Project, which came out in 1992, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighter, which came out on the Super NES in 1993. Uh, and then there was also an NES version in 1994, if you can believe that. Um, but so the original Ninja Turtles game uh, is a hard, like punishing, obtuse game where like there are mechanics in that game I still don't rightly understand. 31 years, <laughs> 31 years later, um, and like the platforming is so finicky and all of that. Um, but you know, as as a Ninja Turtles fan, you know the the cartoon started airing in 87 so i would have been aware of it by the time uh this game came out um that like i just like spending time with the turtles um but it's 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 i think that like the game that konami made um isn't like is not really connected to any ninja turtle stories or anything like that like they use some of the characters and then just like go crazy because like um you know there, there's like a, a man made out of fire that like uh separates as you hit him there are <laughs> uh, like the 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 enemies in that game are like absolutely wild and like uh, you cannot trace their origin back to any um comic or uh cartoon or whatever um the movies didn't exist at this point um but the thing that uh always uh stands out to me and I don't think I hear anyone talk about it in video game circles or in Ninja Turtle circles, and I am present in both, um, is the the fact that this dam level, the the level where you have to like swim through and like disarm all these bombs, um, is just like a concept invented for this game. Like there's never a dam that's under attack in any <laughs> early turtle stuff. Like they, they just made up this thing. Cause they're like, what do turtles do? They swim. Um, and it becomes this like additive thing of like, okay, is that part of what the turtles do now? <laughs> um, they, there's, there's something very interesting and maybe turtles is a, uh, a very specific case because it is such a, like has such a permeable membrane about, around like what it is. Um, Cause there's so much invention coming from so many different media at the exact same time. Uh, comics, TV shows, movies, games, um, and they all just sort of become, uh, you know, one totally non-cohesive object um, is one of the things that I love about the Ninja Turtles. Um, but, like, you can you can really see it coming from, like, far afield in this first Turtles game. Now, is one of the Turtles, and actually maybe multiple, multiple of them have this same sort of convention, but, like, you're driving around in the van and then you get out and like go into a manhole cover and then yeah. that's when it's almost like a zelda 2 type thing where it's like the overworld is yeah, one totally. thing and then yes you, and then it becomes like side scrolling when you actually like get into the level yeah that's just the first one so um the the sequel on the nes uh was really just a port of the arcade game which is more of a like classic konami like 
you know, Final Fight esque like beat 'em up uh, kind of game. Um, and the the port to the NES was awful. Um, like it, it just it looks terrible. Um, and the uh, they made a sequel to that, uh, which is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, which was never an arcade game. Um, and that's called the Manhattan Project, and that's actually a pretty good uh, beat 'em up style game. Um, on on the NES. Um, but like that, that's another one where like there are characters from that that like come out of characters and concepts that like come out of nowhere and are just like you know can they be part of like Ninja Turtles lore now like yeah yeah sure they can <laughs> that's really that's really funny well the reason I was asking about like the Ninja Turtles game was kind of a leading question because uh what because one of the games that I played as a kid I remember renting it from like the local video store. Just because I was obsessed with two things at the time, it was um, Captain EO from Disneyland and uh, Star Wars. And so we got the Star Wars NES game from like the local video store. Yeah. And th- I found that game so confounding. I never got off Tatooine, which takes up maybe about like half of the game's runtime if you go like watch a playthrough of it now. Um because it was the same sort of thing where you would be on Luke's land speeder and you would be, um, you would have to go to like different like caves on Tatooine. And then once you got into the caves, it was like a side scrolling type thing where you're blasting away Jawas. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Cause the Ghostbusters game is like that too, right? Yeah. I feel, I feel like it's just like the, like the way action games were set up. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so weird. But then like, but then you get off of Tatooine and it that convention goes away entirely and there are like dog fights and a whole bunch of different stuff. But the the other reason I like or that Star Wars game is so melded into my mind is because um they you know like the A New Hope there is action in that movie but there is not like persistent action. Yeah. And so uh to make like a Star Wars video game that is based on A New Hope you are killing so many people. Like there are so like everything is an action sequence. The cantina is an action sequence. You know, like everything is just like enemies coming at you. There's a ton of Greedos. You're blowing them all away. Um, and of course that that would like carry over into like the Super Star Wars oh games as God, well, where Super it's just Star like, Wars games. Every, <laughs> every like the world of Star Wars is becomes so hostile where everything is attacking you all the time. Yeah, and and you gotta do like a whole level as slave Leia, and you're like, wow, she is murdering a ton of people. And then like, Wicket is like the planet Endor is like the most uh, hostile place you could ever be. Monsters to kill everywhere. <laughs> um, did uh, so uh, did did you have more uh, that you want to talk about, uh, or was Star Wars um? We could talk Star Wars games for a little bit and how like they're important to um Nintendo consoles. Yeah, I mean there were a lot of them. Probably uh I don't know if you have this on but like Shadows of the Empire. I don't know if that's on your list, but that for the N64 was an N64 exclusive and was a big deal. It was like a multimedia event. There was a video game, there were books, there was an album, there were comics and it like they all kind of told the same story yeah. of Dash Rendar uh a basically han solo by another name. that's right well han solo's frozen in carbonite during this time so like we we, we <laughs> right. need a new han solo um which is uh very funny to me yeah i i think it's it's interesting that the um the nintendo 64 uh like launched slash not quite launched i don't know if uh goldeneye was a launch game or not but that like there are these two big um licensed games sort of like acting as anchors for that system in shadows of the empire and uh goldeneye um 007 like that they are they're both so reliant on um like very close very like cinematic presentations of uh these ip um i guess i don't really have too much more to to say about like either of those games because i don't think either of them are very good um uh you know goldeneye holds a, a special place for a lot of people for its you know four player um, like deathmatch or arena stuff, and you know, I I remember playing a, a ton of that too, alternating between that and Mario Kart. Um, but like, uh, you know, now the game is is virtually unplayable, like so many N sixty four games. That okay, now that is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then there there was also the uh, the episode one racer uh, originally um, just a Nintendo sixty four game as well. Um, it's uh, w- what I mean. I, I guess uh, Star Wars video games uh, end up uh, in sort of like a, a weird place um, the last two decades anyway. Um, but it's uh, you know I, I I wish they could go back to having a like relationship with Nintendo. Like I, I would like more um, Nintendo Star Wars games. Yeah, and um. Like we've talked about before, Star Wars during that era was so in, was very different from Star Wars now, where there's like nine movies, yeah. tons of different like uh, timelines and uh, eras within Star Wars that you can go to. It was like there was essentially just the three movies, and everything kind of revolved around those three movies. So to see how like you know Shadows of the Empire like weaves itself in and out, so it's like well, it can still happen, and it doesn't really you know, uh, negate anything that happened after Empire Strikes Back. It's just, it's a, it's a lot of fun going back when Star Wars was so much more like constricted. Uh, well, it's, it's also funny because like that was when, um, you know, like everything that is Star Wars now is either canon or legends, right? Like legends are the stuff before Disney bought it and canon is like everything else and everything else has to fit into canon. Um, and at the time, um, uh, like Lucasfilm and like the people who were maintaining like Wikipedia um, had like varying levels of canon. And so they would be like, this thing is assumed to be true unless it's contradi- contradicted by something that is more canon than it. Um, which is just so funny to have like these varying levels of like, I think there were like six or something. <laughs> yeah, it's outrageous. <laughs> um, Mark, again, can I take us back to 1993 this time? <laughs> Please. Um, this is a Super NES game that is uh, based on my favorite movie from 1993. I'm referring, of course, to Jurassic Park. Did you ever play Jurassic Park on the Super NES? At my friend's house, yeah. I, so this game uh, is, has a little bit of the thing that you were describing in the, you're on like an overworld map and then you go in and it's like a side-scrolling thing, except instead of side-scrolling, it is a first-person, this is on the Super NES, uh, a first-person like slow Doom-like <laughs> game, except like it's so slow and like it is rendering these 3D <laughs> these 3D environments. Um, first of all, uh, when you go into buildings, you are wearing uh, the night vision goggles because all the power is out, which is a, a fun little framing device. Uh, literally a framing device because it shrinks the side, like the view field, um, into maybe like half the screen. Um, wow! So because that's all that it could render right at, at any given time. Um, and those first person sections are aim possible they are so hard and so confusing you get lost all the time uh and like the main mechanic of uh when you're in those areas is uh finding id cards and using the id cards to um like swipe into uh you know open doors to get into new places um and like you're basically doing you're basically playing out like the plot of the book slash the movie um the, you know, there's one point where you have to, uh, like, trap the raptors on a ship that you then, like, send out or stop from going out. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> um, game is incredibly hard, very long. Um, and, like, the, in the overhead exploration segments uh, are action-packed as well. Um, you can be chased by any of the dinosaurs, including a T-Rex, which kind of just comes out of nowhere unannounced and murders you um there is a your basic weapon is a cattle prod which is no good for stopping anyone um except for those tiny little uh compsonathus uh dinosaurs um this game uh brutal uh very hard no save feature or password feature so you had to beat it you had to beat it all in one go um this is a game that i think my buddy pete and i beat once i think we beat it once um at my family's condo up in northern wisconsin uh during some weekend where i'm sure we should have been playing outside um but instead we stayed inside and played jurassic park uh, all the way through to the end on the Super Nintendo, no excuse for not having a, at least a password save system. It's outrageous. Um, he, here's a, another amazing fact about this this game. Um, it was developed by Ocean, the company that would later make Waterworld on the Virtual Boy. 
It always comes back to the virtual. Always boy, does. Full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, this is a game that I actually really, really liked. Um, or I at least played a ton of. I don't, I don't know if I liked it. I think about when it you're all a the kid, time. there's no real distinction. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Well, the the last game that I wanted to talk about was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, this one is one of my favorites in my memory. I actually don't think it's that fun to play, but the reason I liked it so much is it had like not even really cutscenes. They're just like bitmap images from the movie. Perfect. And then, you know, with like text explaining what you're supposed to be doing next or like what part in the story you are. And um, you know, like the gameplay itself, there's different modes. Sometimes like during the the climax of the game when it's following the climax of the movie it's like little like puzzle mini games where you have to you know like um you're trying to walk on the floor and you're making sure you're spelling the right thing like all that kind of stuff um but it it's kind of like my it hits the nostalgia like sweet spot for me where it's like oh yeah this is like a movie like a license i love yeah and as a kid, just, like, banging my head against the wall, like, dying so many times, not being able to figure out how I was supposed to control Indiana Jones or, you know, like, what the objective actually was. But just being able to exist in the world of a movie I like so much and having, like, actual images, albeit, like, the low of quality, course, yeah. like, bitmap images, like, from the film itself, when I didn't own them on VHS or anything like felt like such a special like magical thing and i kind of think that's like the best of these like licensed games like i feel like licensed games now are very d- different a lot of times like i know we're disqualifying it but like those batman arkham knight games are just like on a totally different Absolutely. like scale and level of like quality than anything like uh the games i grew up playing that were based on the movies i love but it's just like the ability to exist in the world with those characters is always so much fun. Yeah. And I mean, honestly though, uh, like that, that is something that the good versions of these game of licensed games are still doing, right? Like one of the great joys of, especially those first two Arkham games is that it feels like you're in Gotham. It feels like you are in uh, Arkham Asylum. You are seeing characters that, you know, everywhere you're hearing the voices of Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill as Batman and the Joker. Like, you know, it's, it's just, you are immediately spending time in that universe. Um, you know, not a Nintendo game at all. Keep bringing it up, I guess forever. Um, but like star Wars Jedi fallen order felt like star Wars, you know? Um, and it felt like you were playing or like existing in that universe as a Jedi character. Um, and like going to planets that, you know, and you know, all, all that stuff just, um, it goes such a long way towards uh, feeling like you're engaging with the movies or TV shows or whatever that, that you really love. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I would really love a Indiana Jones video game, like a modern, like, Indiana Jones action game. Yeah, I was going to ask I you about like this. We... Have, have, you, have you played uh, the Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis? Uh, that's the, like, the point-and-click adventure game, right? Yeah. No, I, I haven't. But do you remember back, I mean, at this point, it may be close to 10 years, but that there was a demo for a Indian, like a modern, like Indiana Jones Ooh. action game that I think was like discussed or shown off around E3, you know, those running on like Unreal Engine 3 or something like that. Yeah. And it never came to be. And look, I know that like the Uncharted games exist. Like, I feel like there are like analogs yeah. out there that try to give you that same like experience, but not with those characters, but there's something like there's something that is just a little bit, it would just be exciting about actually existing like a new, like Indiana Jones story uh, itself, man. God, it's Indiana Jones is in such a, such an interesting place. And like, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're just biding their time, but like, uh, it, it's interesting to me that like Disney doesn't appear to be making any moves with it, right? Like, there we don't know well, of like. We'll go ahead. Do no, we? we do. So like Spil- Spielberg was supposed to direct. Oh one, yes, it's right. We were supposed to start filming earlier this year, and then he dropped out, and James Mangold uh came on board, and technically I think is still attached, but like Harrison Ford isn't getting any younger, and so with the coronavirus, I don't know if it'll actually move forward. It might end up being one of those like Hollywood what ifs. Yeah. But um, yeah, like they were actively trying to make one for next year. 
But I'm just saying, we've had five Star Wars movies, four seasons yeah. of Rebels, two seasons of Mandalorian, uh, like a couple Star Wars video games since Disney bought Lucasfilm, and like, and a ton of comics and a ton of books and like Indiana Jones, nothing. What is happening? Bring back the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, you Bring cowards! Bring back the young Indiana Jones. Make a movie out of this fate of Atlantis. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Um, Mark, can I share a disappointment, uh, uh, a, uh, a licensed game disappointment? I wish you would. Um, so my buddy Chris and I, when we were wee lads, um, saw the Alien vs. Predator Super NES game and rented it and were excited to play what we thought would be a fun Alien game or a fun Predator game. Both movies that, you know we shouldn't have seen at that time as we would have been like 11 or 12, uh, clearly too young to have seen these movies though. I know we did. <laughs> um, and I, I, I remember having seen the alien versus predator arcade game. Um, and, uh, being like that game looks cool. Uh, that that's exciting. Here's the, the, the super NES version. Let, let's play it. Um, and they're they're similar games in that they're both like side scrolling, you know, uh, final fight style beat 'em ups. Um, but Alien vs Predator on the uh, Super NES is developed by a company named uh, Jorudan, um, and it is uh, it doesn't look great, it doesn't play great, it's slow, it's clumsy. Um, whereas the Alien vs Predator arcade game uh, is made by Capcom, like the king masters of uh side scrolling you know beat 'em up style games in the arcade in the mid 90s um it, it alien versus predator is a the arcade game is one that like i hold in like high esteem if i ever see it in an arcades anywhere i'm going to pick it up it is never on any of their like beat 'em up collections uh i guess it's going to be part of that um remember that big like uh, oh yeah standalone arcade thing that just looked like has the name capcom in it and like two arcade sticks and like mm -hmm. you know maybe a dozen games or something like that it's in that collection which is awesome and makes it something that i'm like interested in but also like just port that to switch guys come on <laughs> um but yeah a alien predator a alien versus predator for me uh was something that i like i always want alien versus predator to be good and it simply never is um <laughs> uh but this was one of those like uh early harsh lessons in like yeah no it's really not really not any good um all right uh we so we we've been through a a, a bunch of uh licensed games uh, and i guess Look, I know I said I was going to try to not talk about Disney stuff, but we've talked about Star Wars a bunch. So I just want to bring it, uh, bring it up one more time before uh, we get out of here. Uh, the Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga coming out at some point next year um, was uh, originally slated to come out uh, this year. But, you know, this year is this year. Um, uh, Mark, where, where are you, like, excitement-wise on, on that game? I'm looking forward to it everything that we've seen about it, like i haven't played a, a lego game for a, a while it's probably been like t like 10 years since i really played one um all the way through and i enjoyed those but this seems like um you know for somebody who's been out of the lego games for a long time like this seems like a real evolution on the series and the the chance to go through all nine stories in like the skywalker saga is really exciting really appealing yeah yeah uh yeah it's it, it's one that I'm, I'm very much looking forward to especially because uh you know i really liked the lego star wars force awakens game i thought i thought it was uh very good um and more kind of like dynamic and less like you know mindlessly uh plugging away um like a, a lot of the lego games are especially the lego star wars games um and then there wasn't a last jedi or rise of skywalker uh game so yeah bring it on i want i Whoa, what am I saying? I want more Star Wars? So, yeah, uh, I guess I'll shut up. <laughs> I mean, Yaddle is a playable character. Yaddle! This is important to me. Um, it's important to all of us, Mark. <laughs> um, all right, let's close this up. Did we miss any big licensed games on Nintendo platforms? I didn't talk about Fester's Quest. I thought I, thought I was going to talk about Fester's Quest. I did not. Do you ever play Fester's Quest, Mark? No, I never played Fester's Quest. I know it's notoriously bad. 
Same with like think of all the Simpsons games that we oh, didn't talk yeah. about so um, of games. also varying quality. <laughs> Uh, a lot and a lot a lot of these games Ninja Turtles uh, Simpsons Batman also wound up on Game Boy all those games are almost unplayable (laughs) they're so (laughs) bad Um, but please if if we left anything out or anything that you want to bring up um, please email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Or tweet at us at Nincart Society. Um, all right, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. Share it wherever you share stuff. Um, that helps us out a bunch. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell. And as I just mentioned, the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellery saying, why isn't Alien vs. Predator ever any good? It should be. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung, and we are the host of Crush Fictionally, a podcast all about your favorite fictional characters from movies, TV shows, and more. Each episode, we pick a theme, curate a list of characters that we love, why we love them, and some fun facts about the people who created them. So if you've ever felt a true connection with a fictional character, tune in to Crush Fictionally on Campfire Media or wherever you find your podcast. Campfire.